This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Thank you all for coming out tonight. This is a real pleasure <clears throat> for me to, to be on stage with these two. Uh, I <clears throat> had a chance to see their film at Santa Barbara International and I was blown away. I was one of those who followed the, the Solar Impulse as it happened and when I heard some folks had made a film about it. I had to see it, so thank you, Noel. Thank you, Quinn, for coming. Thanks for Back having to us. Back Santa Barbara. Uh, Noel and Quinn have been working together for years. They've done uh, lots, of, lots of different documentaries for NOVA, for National Geographic, uh, quite a few different uh, outlets. Um, so it's uh, a, not a big surprise that you're able to pull this one off, but it's a real pleasure to have you. So um, let's start with the genesis of this project and, and how, how did you hear about this? How did you get involved and, and where did it start? Um, we read an article about a team from Switzerland uh, who had this bold vision to fly around the world without any fuel. And part of us thought that was crazy and part of us thought that would be amazing if they were able to pull it off. Um, and I think it was really interesting from um, a technological perspective, um, an environmental perspective, but also a human perspective of, like, can a human be alone in a cockpit for five days straight? Um, so it had all these different elements, and I think also we had done several documentaries that were environmental that dealt with the problems, so melting glaciers and ice sheets, um, environmental degradation, ad- adaptation of Jared Diamond's book, Collapse, uh, which is about environmental de- degradation of soils and things over time, and collapse of civilizations. So this was a story of, um, of hope, you know, of, of people working on a solution. And we didn't know if they were going to, you know, succeed or fail, um, but we were intrigued enough to, to follow it, um, you know, whatever ha- was going to happen. Were they uh, in any ways reluctant or open to you pitching this project to, you, uh, to, to them? How did you go about securing the deal with them? Um, it's always a question of trust in the end. And it, it, uh, I think they saw that we recognized that it was a very personal story. They've been building this for 13 years. Um, and so I think they, they were weary of what was going to happen. They didn't know what was going to happen. They knew it could become really difficult. Um, their lives were potentially going to be at stake. Um, and so that all played into it. Um, and and there's a certain point where we kind of courted them from afar for a number of months, and then we kind of took the leap of faith, and, and we didn't have the gig yet, but we decided to fly over there and meet them in Switzerland and see the plane. And I think they appreciated that we took that risk. Um, they're, they're, uh, they're very interesting people, very personal people, um, and they certainly have um, taken a lot of risks in their life. And I think they liked our, that we were kind of going to be willing to go through this with them and make that film. And we sold them on making something completely different because keep in mind, the purpose of this film, as they say, is to, to um, deliver a message, not passengers. So we knew it was going to be all over the media, all over the news, everywhere. But we felt there was an opportunity to go behind that and to tell a story that would maybe um, 
stand the test of time and history um, by getting closer to the human truth behind what that took. And they, they sort of, at first, I think, you know, were reluctant to maybe let us in a bit. And we had to say, and, and had their guard. They had their, their, their voices for CNN or a BBC soundbite, which they did before getting in the plane. And we had to say, no, we, we don't want the hero. You know, we want to understand, you know, the struggle. And I think that's more relatable, you know, for a viewer to understand like how hard it was and those vulnerable moments and um, that it was really you know this human drama behind it, not just the perfect picture. If you look at, looked at the news, you saw, oh, the plane quietly takes off and then it lands and it all goes so well. And um, So I think it was really important to us to convince them, like, you really need to let your guard down and, and give us the true story as, as much as possible. Yeah. Well, it has plenty of tension, plenty of drama in it. And uh, in so many ways, you had a parallel experience with the filmmaking, I would imagine. They went into it not knowing if they would succeed, and you had the same situation. You, you didn't know if they would succeed. And how much, can you talk a little bit about how that would affect your filmmaking in general? How, how long were you planning on, did you think you would take this film? <laughs> they told us three to five months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, well, your mindset changes, you know, you, you, uh, the story carries you along, so, um, but we knew um, that was the deal. You're just not quite sure, like, you know, you go into the cave, you just don't know how deep that cave's going to be, so you just kind of keep going. And, um, you know, you're a storyteller as well, and, and I think when you understand that, you know, you're not going to let go of something that just gets better and better in the sense of what, what it carries with it. But there were moments of, of real doubt for us, too. And we were, you know, in <clears throat> and the plane was stuck in China for oh, two months. And you saw the team, and they were, like, oh, losing hope. And we're basically, I, I was in Mission Control Center filming, and Noel was with the plane and the pilots traveling around the world, and that's how we got those two um, perspectives. But uh, we were on our texts and on our phones just kind of having those doubts, like, is the plane going to make it across the Pacific? Will we have a film? You know, if it doesn't, um, and that sort of thing. So we had our own doubts there. And at that point, we had invested several months of of being on the road all the time um, and money into the project. Uh, So... It sort of hinged on that. Our, our film hinged on that Pacific But it's funny. There's well. not a separation. The two kind of became one and the same. You know, the, the, your hopes for them as a team and their success in many ways, like, kind of takes precedent. And the film is just kind of part of that package. So, you know, it's not, it's not like we're hoping for the film and they're hoping for the plane. You're very much there with them and the plane and these pilots and what they're going for. And the film's just kind of part and parcel. That's just what we do. That's what we bring to the table as being part of that adventure. Which was a bit of a challenge also of being the objective journalist because we were so embedded. And uh, I think, you know, you have to 
we were rooting for them too. We wanted it to be successful, but you had to, you know, kind of check yourself and not root too much, you know, like yeah. Like, and we had to check each other, right? Exactly. You know, it's really uh, the partnership was really very important to be able to sustain that and and to do that. Well, you both have families, and uh, you both live in the Bay Area, right? And uh, so. Did you have to drop? What, were you already on projects when this one came up? I would imagine a lot of filmmakers have two or three or five going on at a time. In development, but not anything that, that would delay that. I mean, we were... So but the timing was good. Drop it, our families for a little bit. Yeah, that, that's another <laughs> matter. But in terms of work, negotiation. that's different. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah it, was, it was way out of the box yeah. for, the, for that. It's, yeah. not, it's not a normal family. You were, you were right. on the road for... Four months straight well, without the first year. The first right? year is five, five months, months straight. Okay. And then the second year, five months again. With the stop in the middle or so, or two. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there was that break in the middle between the two years. Yeah. So, yeah. So your time. families are quite used to this, I think. You know, with the work you did with James Baylog and other folks, you've been moving around the world for. Yeah, but this now. was bigger. This was more for both of us. You know, usually even for those, you know, you go out on an expedition type shoot and it's usually more like three weeks, a month would be a long time, five weeks would be a very long time, five months was a different box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a different box. And my, my trips were shorter, but I had a 15-month-old baby at home. <laughs> so I would go for like three weeks and then come home for a little bit and another three weeks and... And uh, every time, the first few trips, every time I saw like a mom in Monaco with the, the pram, I started tearing up, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I, I got over it after a little while, got hardened to it. But it's what you do. If you're in the business, you know, your, your family does have to understand that that's what you do. And you've been doing that for longer than you've been married even. So, you know, it's what we choose. It's part of your lifestyle. Yeah. So... In the film, we see a lot of the challenges that the pilots come up against. What were some of the challenges that you came up against, logistically, emotionally, that uh, kind of stand out in your memory now? Besides crying about the baby. Yeah, that, yeah, that's one of them. No, <laughs> um, I think just uh, the risk factor was one of them for us in terms of walking out the door, um, taking a leap of faith on this project, we had come from a, a, a television background where all of our projects to date were commissions, you know, where it's like, do you want to make this film about X, Y, or Z? Yes, we do. That sounds great. And we, and we, and we go out and we have the security of, of uh, you know, making that film. And this was our first feature documentary and our first time where we had to go and say, all right, we believe in this. We hope it's going to go somewhere. So that was certainly one in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think... Yeah, the decision to go out the door was a big one. Yeah, and, and the that, three- to five-month tour ended up, ended up being a 17-month tour. So yeah. that was a longer one to sustain financially in terms of uh, coming back a second year and having you know, more camera people and you know, a longer edit time and also a gap of nine months in between. And having to raise the money to... To do that, exactly. And then you can't take on more work because you know you're going back in six months. You're not going to be able to finish something new. It's very difficult to navigate. So, and I think also um, 
I think there's an endurance thing too. I mean, at different times. Um, I mean, I know you had days where you didn't sleep for two or three days, right? Mm -hmm. And I had days like that too in the Mission Control Center on those Pacific flights where you're kind of afraid to sleep and because you don't know when something's going to come up, when the weather's going to change, when there's going to be a technical problem, and if you miss it, you know, you miss it. So, like, we didn't really sleep for <laughs> five days straight. But um, it's amazing, really. And the team, too. Like, a lot of people on the team didn't sleep. I mean, that's what you had to do. And so, but it's amazing, really, that, you know, you see people doing things that you've never really seen before, the amount of sleep. It's like Andre. I mean, you know, that five-day flight over that ocean, that first one was just, nobody had to even come close to a flight like that. So people were doing these things that humans don't normally do and have never done in his case. Um, And so you kind of are part of that. And it's amazing, really, what you can do. You know, sleeping like a half an hour when you can or, you know, you become a very good napper. And and um, but it, it was really interesting that way. It kind of they were motivating. They're like, you know, they sort of frame shift you, you know. Oh, bit. yeah. Like, oh, yeah. I think in the film, uh, Bertrand says, oh, I slept only three hours. I feel great. You know, <laughs> and we all need our eight hours of sleep. Um, and I think they were. Um, motivating in a sense. I know in my head, I'm like, well, they can do this. They can pilot a plane on three hours. I can do this. But you do have a new appreciation for the human animal, you know, like what it can do and, and where we come from and, and how much stress we can deal with and how much uh, perseverance is possible when, when you have a group of people, in particular a group of people, committed to something that's really bigger than themselves, that they see the importance of, and they're going to keep going no matter what. And, and um, that was really one of the most fascinating parts of the journey on both sides of the story, I think, maybe. And editing. This was a big challenge to edit this as well. Um, I think we, it took twice as long as we anticipated uh, of course, being our first feature documentary, that's to be expected, I guess. But It was our first unnarrated documentary, too. Yes. And so that's a different craft of storytelling. You know, you, you, you understand the difference. Um, you're, you're playing with pieces of a puzzle, and you, you don't have that glue. You can just add where you need it. You know, so... I've told uh, some of my students, it's like making a puzzle, and you need... Uh, say you need a hundred pieces, but you need to get you know a thousand different pieces of puzzle to find those one hundred in a sense, mm-hmm. because your shooting ratio, for example, is going to be much higher. Right. What? Yeah, it's more like a hundred thousand <laughs> to <laughs> one hundred. What was your? Uh, what, how, how many hours did you end up with? Do you think? Uh, we, we, we Thirty, ter- 30 terabytes. terabytes. Anyone can do the math if you want to. <laughs> you can look it up. Um, Thirty terabytes of HD footage. It seems like this was a perfect project for the two of you, to have somebody at the mission control and somebody following the plane. And uh, what did you, in a sense, did you feel that way? Was this meant for you too as a, as a, as a team? I, th- I think we, maybe when we read the article, that's not the first thing we said. That it was, it's a perfect fit. But as we started to talk about 
how we would film it. It was mm-hmm. like, well, of course, it's kind of like you know a space mission, and it, you, you know you got a guy up there in the sky, and we need to shoot mission control. And hey, perfect! Like there's two of us, you know that sort of a, a discussion um, that we we could split up and really capture um, both sides of that story. And we, we felt it was really important to have like have a very experiential. Um, feeling without, as Noel said, without narration. Uh, we wanted to put you in the cockpit, um, but also put you in the mission control room. And I think that's something that emerged through this, our being on the mission was the kind of third rail of you've got the pilots, you've got the plane, but then you have this immense team behind them that maybe people aren't aware of and, and their feelings and their commitment, um, which we also wanted to capture. Yeah, I think from a a storytelling point of view, the decision to commit to being there on both sides of that story and to split up um, was our instinct in the beginning. And it proved to be the, the, the key thing in being able to sustain suspension, to be able to go back and forth like that and to get into both worlds. Um, and we did see it kind of like an Apollo story, Apollo mission to the moon type story where, you know, we were talking about this before, you know, you kind of have those movies in your head where it's going back and forth. And, and that was a really good tool to be able to, um, uh, play one off the other and juxtapose and play around, which we did a lot in the edit. So that was really interesting. But I think Quinn's right. I think we, we were naturally attracted to it. Um, we do, you know, our partnership is not kind of a classic, you're the producer, I'm the director. We're, we're both directors, we're both producers. It's very important that we, we share in those roles in our partnership. So it did seem to, like, you know, come to us a little bit on a platter in terms of our particular um, uh, long collaboration. Well, in the film that we find these moments of doubt and uh, that the pilots are going through, were there moments for you? I'm sure there are plenty of moments, but w- were there some very memorable moments where you were in doubt of being able to pull this project off? Or, you know, you're, you're going into a film that you don't know the ending. About every morning <laughs> over coffee. Really, seriously. Seriously. But you get used to that. And that's the interesting thing is that you, there's a certain point where you cross that divide and you don't that feeling is becomes not something that holds you back it some, becomes something that motivates you it becomes something else and um, it's really interesting and you could see that happen with different people in the team as well where, where you, you embrace that sense of the unknown not fear it as much. Are either of you afraid of heights? A little bit. Not, <laughs> not bad. But you were, you were in the helicopter a lot, uh, filming. Not that much. I mean, some, some, but I wasn't always in the helicopter when it was filming. Um, we did a lot of that work um, while the plane was in Hawaii doing some, some test flights over the ocean. Like where we wanted to get some really dynamic shots that we could intercut. But over the ocean in the dramatic moments, those aren't cheated. We, we actually really quite, for the most part, wanted to stay with <clears throat> what did it look like on that day. 
um, what did it, what was the pilot seeing, you know, you want to be quite true to that. Um, so a lot of the, the GoPros on the wings became very important. So we discussed this a little bit, but the cameras were already installed because of their media uh, outreach, it sounded like. So you didn't come and add weight to a plane that can't take any more weight. No. Uh, aside from uh, personal cameras, right, that you handed to them, and that's a very important part of the story, was the personal diary cameras that you, you handed off to them. So um, a couple of questions that, uh, that arise would be, and I'm sure everybody was wondering, um, what were the chances of survival in the middle of the ocean uh, for either of the pilots? I don't know if we can put an exact number on it, but we were 50, betting. 50, 50, 50. <laughs> we were doing this earlier. Um, <coughs> I mean, they plan meticulously for all eventualities. They had a search and rescue team that was part of the mission control. They had practice, uh, as you saw in the film, you know, plunging into the pool and being dragged by a parachute. And they were prepared to be stuck on a lifeboat for up to 48 hours uh, in the middle of the Pacific um, because uh, a plane couldn't chase them, a safety plane couldn't chase them. Um, none, none would be slow enough, and no boat would be fast enough to, to chase them. So their whole um, strategy was to call a passing um, cargo ship um, and say, we got one guy out in the middle of the Pacific. <laughs> it, um, honestly, it seemed quite desperate yeah. <laughs> at that point. Uh, you know, the life raft, hey, you got a life raft under your seat, right. and <laughs> you know, get the door open and jump out and make sure you turn the plane off because it'll electrocute you if you go in the water with it. Yeah. And, and the plane's going <clears> to <throat> like, turn and, into a million pieces and when it hits the ground yeah. or the water. And, and we're filming these scenes of them putting on their, their suit you know, and they can't find the zippers, and they're in this cramped cabin, and it's taking like 20 minutes, and you're just going, it's kind of comical. Yeah, the dry suit. Oh my the gosh. dry suit. They had to do dry suit training, and he's like, where's the hole, and how do I get into this? <clears throat> so, I, you know, the Vegas odds I would give 50-50, but maybe that's being generous. I don't know. It's, it's yeah. hard, it's hard to say. I don't think anyone really... New, it would depend on the problem. If it were a problem that they had time, like it was an engine problem or they were running out of energy and they had a half hour, they would have a very good chance of survival. They had the gear. But the more likely thing would be something that's more weather-related. And if it came fast, they really would not be in a good position. If there was a fire on board, or the odds were the same. Sorry, the the odds were the same as um, uh, the first Apollo mission. Is what the 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 aviation is it? The, which one is it? The um, they they did put odds on it. They they figured it was about the same odds of success as the first Apollo mission to the moon. I'm not sure what those are, but. Yeah. So they, they, they reveal themselves as, as quite different people in the film. What were your impressions of them as people, the time you spent with them? First impressions or overall impressions? Over the... <laughs> Maybe both. First yeah. impressions. What did you think at first when you met them? I mean, I think they're both very charismatic people. They're, you know, as uh, I think I was talking about earlier, Bertrand's steely blue eyes staring <laughs> through you. I mean, they're... They're um, intense, both of them in their own ways. 
they're extremely passionate and, and um, they draw you in. And I think we were drawn in um, and thought, these people are intriguing, you know? They've devoted 13 years of their lives to this project, um, put everything on the line, and now are about to risk their lives to fly around the world. And so I think um, that was like fascinating to us, to, to, to these people who are going to do this, to send a message, essentially, to the world. Um, maybe you want to talk about kind of revelations is spent you spent more time with them on the on the journey yeah but some of the time at mcc was the most intense time yeah. i mean that moment with bertron that that you guys had was just unbelievable you know when he talks about the guts to make that decision so you know we quinn and i had kind of different experiences with them hers was more in a fishbowl and mine was was following them over a very longer period of time around the world, and, and the contrast in that was really interesting. Um, but what was most interesting, if it, it was much more interesting, because there was the two of them. If it were just Bertrand or just Andre as one leader. That would have been an interesting film. They're both charismatic people, but what made it even more than doubly interesting was the fact that there were two of them coming from very different angles that had to work together. And these are two people that are driven and used to being the leader. They're both alphas, you know, and, and they had to be. You have to be to do what they did. And so... Yeah, and yet they had different strengths that they were brought to the table um, in terms of, you know, one being more the engineering mindset, one the visionary, and also, um, you know, the fundraiser who brought all of the partnerships to the table. And uh, so I think... And they, they, they both were great team motivators, but in very different ways, mm-hmm. I think. Um, you know, Bertrand had sort of inspiring motivational speeches, which, you know, we, we got to witness in, in some of the scenes. Um, Andre, I think, had a quieter way of mo- motivating the team, um, maybe a colder way of doing it, but it still, like, motivated them. Um, the engineering team, when, when I, I kind of witnessed that, the heat in the last flight, and, mm-hmm. you know, like, get after it, you know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's interesting also, not just in and of the adventure, but, but what kind of sunk in as we were going along is how much this adventure speaks to the challenges that the world is facing, which is unprecedented. You know, the world is going to have to do something that it's never done before. And a lot of people are going to have to collaborate that maybe wouldn't necessarily collaborate. So a lot of those things that came out of the journey, a lot of those difficulties, a lot of what they went through spoke very loudly to us, um, particularly given our history with environmental films about problems and all of that, as, wow, it's, we know it's going to be difficult and we know we're going to have to learn some new tricks to pull it off. And, and part of that is, is people working together that may not... Um, uh, be used to that. The environmental side of this film has always kind of stood out to me and the fact that Ban Ki-moon is speaking to them from the the Paris Agreement, uh, climate change. And um, What are your feelings about the future? uh, Are you hopeful? 
I'm a little nervous, personally. Um, I'm hopeful. This film makes you hopeful in the sense that, um, or the story, I should say, not the film, but um, because it's about a group of people doing something and, and working on a solution. I think I'm nervous because of recent news that has come out from the IPCC report saying that we've got to do things on a more accelerated timeline. We have to to fix the climate problem in the next 12 years, and we're not seeing governments and corporations stepping up yet to the degree that we need to. So I'm nervous, but I'm also hopeful um, that we have the ability as humans to collaborate, as we're seeing in this team and this story, and to be creative and to innovate and come up with these ideas. And, um, you know, this, this story, their intention is not to necessarily say, listen, you're going to be flying on a 747 in 10 years that's solar. It's about look at the potential of renewable energy that we can have in our lives on the ground, that what we can do with energy efficiency. And to go out and, as they say in the end of the film, try. Go do something. Like, we can't sit on our butts and let this happen. And so, um, so I'm hopeful that if we, if we muster that energy within all of ourselves, that we can do it together. Sorry, that was a long answer. It's okay. It's good. Um, yeah, well, what's the alternative, you know, to not being hopeful or thinking that we can do it? I don't, I don't know what the alternative it is. And it probably is... is uh, um, you, you know, if you look at it in the perspective of the time it took for them to get around the world and us to make the film and be sitting here and all of that, look what's changed. You know, it's pretty amazing, actually, what has changed. I mean, you know, the electric revolution is well underway, and anybody that thinks we're going to be driving around in gas cars in 20 years is crazy. I, I believe that. I mean, in some okay, yeah. some, some places, sure, yeah. But I think we've crossed that threshold already, mentally. I don't think anybody's thinking that's the future anymore. I think we can see the future. And this plane went around the world, and in many ways it was kind of like, you know, people giving people a vision of a future. It's quiet, it's clean, it's sustainable, it's doable. And, and now we just got to scale it up on a massive level. And, and we're doing it. We are doing it. We're not doing it quick enough. And we need governments to be more like proactive, like electric cars should not cost more that are coming out than gas cars. So that, you know, people that can't afford that extra $10,000 can buy an electric car. That makes sense. And, 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 and that's probably coming too. Um, and, and, you know, you see China, you see uh, the United Arab Emirates, you see all these other countries. We were at COP24, the, the climate summit, just recently. And it's amazing to see all those countries there getting together. And who would have thought we could have come even to an agreement to do that? And yet we did. Well, maybe with one exception, but that's still in the balance. <laughs> So, so yeah, so much has changed just in that period of time that the film was made. It does give you hope. And it's not, you know, it's not like the lights are going to go out all of a sudden. 
It's like, you know, the harder we work at it, the more we pull together, the, the less painful it's going to be. And it's going to be one hell of an adventure, and it's going to be really interesting, and we're going to learn a lot from it. And, and so that positivity, you can kind of feel coming, and maybe it's because we made the film and followed it around the world. I don't know, but, but that's, that's where I sit personally. Well, you had quite a journey around the world, and you got to meet so many different folks and cultures. What were some of your favorite parts of the, of the film, or of, of your journey in making this film? It's really important that the plane went around the whole world, <laughs> not just that it crossed an ocean and landed in Hawaii. There's something to me that it, it made it all the way around, um, and it connected a world in, at a visceral level with um, this vision of a future. And, and, and that was consistent everywhere we went. Every landing, every takeoff, you could see it in people's eyes as they watched this thing. And you could see the hope come into their eyes and into their heart. And that was the only thing consistent. And then all the cultures have their own take on it. You know, the Chinese have cities that are just choking with pollution. They need it now. You know, you have islands where, you know, the water's rising. So they, they, they have other issues. Um, certainly we have our issues. Every country has different issues. So they're going to relate to specific things. But that connection was the same. And that was amazing to, to be a part of and to witness country to country to country particularly the kids. Well, you just mentioned earlier that um, kids played a big part at COP24 uh, for the first time, I think. They've been going to the climate change conferences as well, and they, um, the kids had a more influence this time, and we've seen Greta, as we mentioned, uh, somebody who's getting a lot of attention. What are, what are your thoughts about the future uh, with children and their influence on this? I, th- I think it's great. I mean, I think that's our uh, one big reason to be hopeful about getting us out of the climate crisis is seeing um, people like Greta who, uh, and other activists um, coming to the table and demanding that they get a seat at the table and, and that our vo- their voices are heard. And, and they're ready to do, you know, to, to hold their governments and companies and states accountable and they're ready to really commit. And they are looking at all of us and older generations saying, what are you guys doing? You know, you're really leaving this for us. It's a mess for you to pick up. And we could say, well, you know, we could feel bad about that. Or we could say, okay, great, you're, you're going after it. And we need that. We need everyone on board, particularly the youth, um, to, to get behind the climate movement and to, to act now, essentially. Yeah, she was amazing. Yeah. It was so funny because she just like... She's, she's a, a 15-year-old <laughs> Swedish uh, it, activist who, who basically, if, if you're not familiar, um, has been on a school strike every Friday sitting outside of her parliament um, and demanding her government to, um, to basically uh, you know, make more aggressive um, commitments to, uh, 
the Par- you know, beyond the Paris Agreement and that sort of thing. And sorry, continue. No, okay. I just wanted to, for anyone yeah, who yeah. didn't know who Thank you. who we're talking about, Greta up here. But what's great about her is she just doesn't. She doesn't listen to the BS. She just doesn't. She'll just like, you know, she'll get a question that seems off the point. I think my favorite was when at COP24, and they said, well, what was the biggest surprise at COP24? What do you think? She says, well, I thought there would be more people doing things and less talking. (laughs) And so, you know, she just calls it like it is, is the way, you know, all you parents know that only children can do is cut through the crap very quickly. And, and um, uh, so, yeah, she's quite powerful in a very quiet way with very few words. So it's good to see that. I mean, that's the change is going to have to come, you know, in waves of generations. Well, I know folks out in the audience will have some questions as well, so let's go ahead and open them up. How big a crew did you have, and did you take them with you, or did you pick them up locally, or did you do it all yourself, or, or what? A little all of the above. Uh-huh. Um, we began, we brought a camera person from, a DP from France, too, from France. We had a co-production with a, a, a company there in France, and um, so that was a short trip to, to Monaco from Paris and a longer trip from Paris to China or India. Um, so but they weren't, they weren't there the whole time. So they would be there for certain key things where we knew it was going to be difficult, and then they would go home. And so, you know, it was a little bit... Um, uh, because it was so long financially, it was very difficult to sustain that. Yeah. So um, it was a bit hit and miss. And then you got a lot of feed from them, too, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. That you then had to go... All those wade, terabytes. ...wade through <laughs> it. Yeah. Were you self-funded? Uh, we were to begin with, yes. And then we had to fundraise for this project. So we found um, private funding, and we had uh, started conversation with uh, WGBH Boston, uh, PBS Nova, early on and talked through them, with them through the whole process. Um, ultimately, they uh, became a supporter of the film, and we made a version um, for... After the theatrical. After the theatrical release um, for PBS Nova. Um, and a co-production, yeah, co-production with a company in France as well. And they made a version for uh, French, French uh, broadcasters. But it was difficult, you know, the, the resources to do it. It wasn't a cheap film to make just because of the time involved, the distances involved, the amount of travel. It, like, had every strike against the budget. So it was definitely uh, creative. A lot of creativity went into doing that. Thank you. Again, very good. Well done. And Sorry, very we enjoyable. only one question from Gray Sweater. So I'm <laughs> okay. I was just curious, there were a lot of dimensions to the stories that you went around, and how did you stay on top of that inverted bowl? I mean, you had the uh, story of the airplane, the engineers versus the risk takers, uh, the environmental aspect, the beautiful scenery, and, and you stayed, I thought, very well balanced in the middle of that. And the other thing that popped out, the scenes in Tulsa, I assume you were cutting this after some knowledge about more recent things and injected that, but how did you stay kind of on top of that with all the dimensions and when you found yourself falling off, Mm -hmm. how did you get back onto it? And also, were there any external pressures, like, I mean, the storied history of of the uh, family of that, and was it 
So I'm kind of curious how you stayed on that and, and did such a wonderful job staying there. Thank you. Um, yeah, I think that's why like the edit took not six months but 12 months um, to do. I mean, I think there were all these elements that it was like weaving a tapestry together um, of, and you didn't want to lose sight of one of them. You know, for example, the environmental message, we wanted to make sure that we weren't getting too focused in the drama of will they make it, will they not make it. You know, we needed to make sure that we weren't losing that, that thread, if you will. Um, or uh, the, the team, you know, making sure that we were having the team kind of throughout and we're hearing from them. Um, yeah, not just get pilot to pilot focus. Exactly. So each of the, and the backstory, that was one we struggled with because they have interesting backstories and families, particularly Bertrands. But, um, and it's important. Yeah, but we felt like you really, this film really wanted to live in the present moment and live in the cockpit and with the team and on this adventure. And so we didn't want to go too deep into, or for too long, we didn't want to go into either their, their personal backstories or even we toyed with like how much archive footage of them building the plane itself as well. And, you know, because yeah. that's interesting to people too. Um, and that was something we kind of struggled with and grappled with. How long is that backstory going to be? So, yeah, there are a lot of different elements. And, and, that we... and the environmental problems that the film addresses in a, um, through the adventure was something like some people, I think actually the Hollywood Reporter, and they gave us a really nice, you know, very favorable review but the one criticism is that we didn't add enough context of what was going on around the world to do that. And, and in fact, that was, you know, one of the most choice. That was a conscious choice that, well, we've made a lot of films about melting glaciers and this and that and the other thing. And you see a lot of the environmental films and a lot of those that have that element. We felt we had something unique and that was an adventure that if you just stay with that adventure, and you're true to that, the, the, what it speaks to us, it's going to speak, if we do our job right, in a much bigger picture way. That it's all embodied at some level in the adventure. And so we can't not tell a good adventure story because that is your cup of tea. And what you add to that is important backstory of this, backstory of that, other things, elements, we brought those in. But I think Quinn and I were really, we, we, we talked about that a lot. And a lot of times in the edit room said, you know, let's stick with that adventure. Let's get back to that adventure. That is our it. And the other things take you out of it. They yeah. take you out of that mental space, you know. So. Which is okay, because too much adventure can be too much adventure, but that was our, our, our mindset going in. That was the jewel that we had to pay attention to. Hi. Um, it was a really, really cool film, um, really enjoyable. I was just wondering, to bounce back from one of the other questions before, uh, how... You must have had so much um, footage and lots of moments where there would have been lots of problems that would have happened with the team or uh, lots of emotional stories and things like that. I was wondering how difficult was it for you to construct that narrative of their journey with all these different stories just piling up? It's the art of exclusion. 
you know, filmmaking is very much the art of exclusion. What to leave out is a much more difficult choice than, than what to put in. So it's not easy, particularly, you know, with that. Yeah, although we were just talking earlier about how one of the last passes on our edit after um, many, many times of, of trying to whittle it down and massage it was kind of like, it was actually sh- letting the emotion show a little bit more um, in, mm-hmm. in terms of um, letting, bringing in more of like one of the team members' own personal disappointment and, and potential loss of hope. Um, and uh, so I think emotionally we actually ended up adding towards the end a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly an issue we had was like all of the, the starts and stops, the failed attempts, these, that wasn't all of them. There were more than that, you know, and there were some really other great moments like that, and we just it couldn't sustain it. We, it was really a fine balance that we had to strike about... Um, how many of these false starts uh, you could kind of stomach be- before you got really frustrated, you know, and, and wanted to walk away. And how or, long or did you hope. play them for? Yeah. You know, it's like... Exactly. Yeah. So we kind of had to massage that a, a, a quite a bit in terms of the length of those scenes, in terms of how many of those canceled on the runway type um, uh, scenes we had before the final, the final Pacific flight. That was one area where we had a lot of massaging, I'd say. Just one more question I yeah. had for you. What's the plan for this now? What's, what, where do you want to go with this film now? Sure. Um, well, right now... We're... Schools. Yeah. In a word, schools. We, we, uh, we've developed an educational initiative around it. So, sorry. No, I go ahead. It in. Yeah. Um, it's unusual for, for us. We've never done this before, but we really you know, put so much into this film. We had a wonderful response from schools teachers, people have seen it and see the educational value of it because it connects directly with a lot of topics that are STEM or STEAM in classrooms. And so we are um, found some partners and we're developing an educational initiative around it. Yeah, to do kind of, hand, to take the inspiration of the story and really translate it into hands-on projects that the kids can do. Um, from middle school and high school across the U.S. and hopefully internationally as well, um, like building a battery, um, building a solar contraption or machine, a wind turbine, all of that, so that you that kids are getting engaged in innovating, in creative thinking and problem solving and all these fun things that these guys went through. Um, because those are the, the, the qualities we're going to need to solve the climate crisis and other 21st century crises that we're going to face um, as a civilization, so we're we're excited about bringing it. You know, we've we've done now festivals um, and and international forums, which we'll continue to do, um, like COP twenty four and perhaps some others this year coming up, and universities, which are fantastic and we really love. But um, we want to get to the younger kids as well. Well, it's really an extraordinary piece. I think Thank that you. is. Um, important for people to see so thanks so much for all the efforts that you put into it thanks for having us inviting us thanks for coming down yeah thank you for having us thanks to the Carsey Center thank you guys for coming 
You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.